Welcome to today's podcast. It is good to have you here on Wednesday, October 26th. Uh, a couple of quick congratulations, and we have a fantastic guest. Uh, we have plenty of voices that sound like me uh, and some others to talk about mental health. A different kind of voice who I want to continue. I think the, the buzzword is amplify so we can smash stigma uh, in areas outside of people who look like me. So Tia Tiggs will be along uh, just a couple of months after her, her wonderful dad, Andre, was here. Um, congratulations to Jason and the crew, his entire staff. He would not want just his name said, but Jason and the entire crew at our library system, at the main library, same is coming. What is that? The same cafe. Uh, we've talked about this a couple of times over a couple of years. I think the first and only one is in Colorado, maybe Denver. So all may eat, same. So all may eat and it's free. People can just come in and grab stuff. They're looking for some volunteers as well, but so the people can get a good meal. And as... I continue to say, and echoing yesterday's point, the library, like when we have the East Toledo Family Center in here and how they are the fulcrum of that neighborhood, the library offers much of the same across so much of Lucas County, which is why I get irritated when I hear and see people saying, coming up with things to stop the gun violence, and I'm like, look at the library. Congratulations to... um, I don't think Kelsey Kelsey has been on the podcast once. She is a friend that I met through the Lucas County Suicide Prevention Coalition. Uh, she's become a friend, uh, a true mental health avenger. Uh, she is a counselor over at Springfield Middle School. And I had no idea. You know, I'm not on TikTok. And again, it's not because I'm old. I just don't like watching stuff for the bazillionth time. Uh, I watched hers because there was a story from uh, Heather at 13 ABC about how Kelsey and her fellow counselors went viral. And uh, apparently Kelsey also has like 13,000, 12,000 followers, but this is much bigger than that. Spirit Week was a teacher-student swap. So the students dressed up like teachers and they were acting like us all day long and the teachers dressed up like students. So we were pretending to be students all day long. That was the premise of the viral video put together by counselors Kelsey DePompe, Amy Hagen, and Morgan Rowe. But I haven't done my hair today. Do you, do you need to do that? No. It's not based on like any individual student. We were kind of thinking about like how we were when we were in middle school. DePompe posted the video Friday, and as of Tuesday, it's been viewed more than one million times. I texted both of them and I said, oh my gosh, you guys, this is going to go viral. This is blowing up. Now they've got a chance to earn money. We know that there are TikTok teachers that make money off of their accounts. Um, and we have a lot of students that are in need here. We said, you know, we could make something out of this. Snacks, school supplies, backpacks, um, cleaning supplies, um, hygiene products, things like that. So I won't know how much actually came in until the end of the month. I was going to say, uh, go throw some money at Springfield. Even easier, go watch Kelsey's videos. Uh, Kelsey, the counselor, the counselor has a K in it. I'm so happy for him, for, for, for them to experience that. Another local person going viral. Um, Taylor Swift here for a second, and then a couple other hits before we bring in Tia to talk some, some mental health, her support of NAMI and the suicidal journey she has been on. There's a, there's a lot of attempts in her story. Um, there is a story going around. Woman claims to be Taylor Swift's former uh, high school classmate. Um, 
gave her uh, a woman named Jessica McLean is claimed on TikTok on her TikTok post to having attended the same high school as Taylor and gave her input about the conspiracy theory involving Swift expressing everything Miss Swift does is intentional. I went to the same high school as Taylor. We grew up in the same town. Um, so I guess she knows her. But this should not be of any surprise. We've talked about this sometimes. But Taylor Swift is a business, uh, a brand. She got to where she is by being intentional. And I'll, I'll use a different word, by being strategic because she was a star at country music. She came over to the pop music world. There are some very smart people working at record labels. They don't just throw stuff out there. It is extremely complex and robust when it comes to proper strategy to make these artists succeed. So she became successful uh, by that strategy. Now she continues that so she can continue to be one of the big, Taylor Swift, like the name, the brand is one of the biggest businesses on earth. Of course, everything she does is intentional and strategic. Um, One, there is a politics here for a brief moment. There is a Senate race that is right next door to us that is my home state and I've been keeping a close eye on it because it is um, it too has pseudo celebrities one, one real celebrity Dr. Oz that one is running for a Senate seat kind of like Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance here Tim Ryan is running uh, Dr. Oz is running for a Senate seat against um, John Fetterman who is you'd look at him and go no, that's not. Those are not his beliefs. He is currently lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania. He's a Democrat from a small town. Had a pretty ugly situation years ago where I think he pulled a gun on some black kids. He has been remorseful and apologized for that incident. And it is years ago. He is extremely progressive. Uh, not all the way to an end of the spectrum, but he's a pretty darn good liberal in my eyes. Eric, what do you mean? I would totally believe this. He's six seven, bald headed, dresses like me, and has a lot of tattoos. You would think he's ultra mega, but he's not. Um, he had a stroke amid the campaign, and it's been an issue because he has not um, gotten back to full health. I think last night was like the first closed caption debate. It was the one and only debate. Maybe you've heard. Um, I don't. Uh, Governor Dewine will not debate his opponent, Nan Whaley the mayor of Dayton and um, people who won't have their debate offers accepted are pretty upset and pissed off. And I understand it. Let me share this. I'm okay with no more debates. Granted, there is nothing bigger than a presidential debate. I I think like 20 million or so watch the the Biden and Trump ones. Um, And I think even before that, they have turned into... TV show circuses. Some um, supporters of not having debates, very reasonable minded, no, not even with a political bias, saying, we know all of what these people want us to know because they have uh, so many avenues to share with us. They can literally turn their phones on. So, and if I, if you want to know something about a, a candidate, it, it's easy to find, again, because of all those avenues, they have ways of sharing things with us. Now, I also understand, well, yeah, you want to see these candidates under the stress and adversity of having to come back with a fast retort or counter to a point maybe they weren't expecting. Yeah, but for the most part, 
politicians don't have to make those instantaneous decisions. They can, they can and should be very measured after gathering as much information as possible, then making as objective a decision as possible, as opposed to shooting from the hip. Then you can say, well, Eric, if they're, they're properly prepared for these debates, they can offer um, retorts and counters in the moment. Again, they always turn into circuses, and I don't need that. In fact, like I've said many, many times, I, I, I hate that fact. Like, I am glad that people who were dismissed and discriminated against and never had voices now are hearing their grievances heard. Um, but it has turned things across the spectrum into the Wild West. Um, as we've talked about here on the podcast, it is a world of extremes. There are no more, there are very few comedies of the movies anymore. They're big, massive blockbusters. We live in a blockbuster world, and that that seems to touch everything. So we just can't have an even-keeled, reasonable debate, as we did with Romney and Obama and whoever else. Now they've turned into circuses, and I hate that stuff. So I, I, I don't need debates anymore. It's easy to find out what these candidates think. And uh, if someone who supports one person who won't get debated against, that writer or whoever can go ask that potential opponent and go, what do you think of this? And then their thoughts are hopefully out in the public sphere. A couple of days ago, um, I came across a Twitter th- thread. And I, I didn't read the entire story, but it was to the point of after 1990, music got a lot sadder. What? And uh, I, I think the point in there maybe this is why I didn't read it, was because we had a big transition. Do you want to be a rock star? Not really. I mean, that is an an antiquated term. You want to be an influencer, social media star, a pop star. But through the 90s, because of what was, you wanted to be a rock star. Um, in In the 80s, we had like glam rock that dominated the MTV era. Um... That stuff proliferated TVs and pop culture. And it was a lot of partying songs. I don't know how many Def Leppard or Bon Jovi songs were about mental health, sadness, depression. Even it was quietly veiled. And then in the 90s, um, different kinds of music began to emerge. Specifically hip-hop, R&B, other forms of dance. Uh, It wasn't just glam hair rock. And these people were a lot sadder. Like the evolution of what... Uh, NWA and Public Enemy was talking about proliferated to other people sharing their problems. So, yeah, music after 1990 probably got a lot sadder. Just came across an article today. Um, The headline is, The soundtrack to the climate crisis is Apocalypse Pop. Uh, I call it the Apocalypse. Gen Z is channeling climate anxiety and anger into music. Sure, they've also um, come of age in two of the worst years in anybody's life in decades. There's a quote in here, and I hate throwing numbers at you, but I want to see if you agree. 56% of people ages 16 to 25 believe humanity is doomed, and 75% describe the future as frightening. I'm pretty certain when I was of that age, I doubted I would be sitting here right now thinking the earth was just not going to make it. Um, If you ask people a little older than me, I always use the example of my dad being terrified or having to be fearful of nuclear attacks. Um, You have a lot of, you have a lot of 
anxiety and paranoid and sad thoughts when you are a teenager or a, a young a young adult. Um, now, and my dad had them, but they weren't as accepted or talked about back then, but they have been now, so we know more about them. Um, but I'm kind of certain that people in that, that age group, 16 to 25, in any decade, in any era, have a lot of fear for the future. Uh, one last thing, I uh, I actually got an email from Netflix suggesting a show that caught my attention. Guillermo del Toro. I know he's done some big movies. Pacific Rim? Some others? Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know. Um, the show is called Cabinet of Curiosities. Uh, I knew it was an anthology, uh, kind of spooky stuff, right timing for Halloween. And uh, I watched the first episode last night, and it reminds me of... Um, the first episode was no spoiler, Tim Blake Nelson, good actor coming back to the, uh, Marvel cinematic universe after, well, now 14 years away, good actor, enjoyable guy played this role really well. He bought a storage unit and he got to keep whatever was in there. There was like haunted artifacts and I'll leave that where it is in the late eighties. I think there was a Saturday TV show called Friday the 13th. I'm pretty sure that's what it was baffled me as a kid because I'm like, where's Jason? No machete. It was about a store that had all these haunted artifacts and it was pretty scary. And it was scary for me being like six, seven or eight. It would be pretty scary now. Um, So this uh, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro show reminds me of that. If it continues down that path, by the way, I warned you of this Netflix thing as well. As the ad tier is coming, this show is releasing weekly. You can expect all the big shows on Netflix to release weekly because it keeps you subscribed longer. Uh, one more thing with that. There is a Dennis and Maggie Hagen who work at St. Luke's. Um, impeccable timing. Jason Weber from The Blade did a story about them because they too have an attic, a room of haunted artifacts, many dolls and other things. And we're going to get, we're going to get them on the podcast real soon. And I even asked them to bring some of their, their items. So, uh, again, impeccable timing. Uh, I waited too long of a time to bring on, um, today's guest, Tia Tiggs, the daughter of, uh, Mr. Tiggs, who was here in the late spring to talk about PS419, his mental health stuff. But his daughter, Tia, I watched speak when I got to visit his class at Bowser and, the many suicide attempts she made. Um, but I wanted her here for beyond that because she has a voice that more people need to hear because of who she is and what she's been through. She can save a lot of lives. Let me welcome into the studio uh, Tia Tiggs. Hello. Her dad was here in the summertime to visit um, to talk bowling, but really lots of his program, uh, PS419 <laughs> over at Bowser and TPS, but also mental health. And uh, I got to to hear you speak at one of his classes because your dad is a big mental health guy, uh, supporter of NAMI. And I wanted to get you in here because you have had a, a pretty harrowing story. So one, sorry it took me so long to drag you in here. <laughs> you uh, you did have to get a kid out. I knew that that was going to take some time. <laughs> yes. But uh, 
we I also wanted to have you in here. We have we have plenty of people that look like me mm-hmm. um, talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. I know there's a big, big stigma in the black community and lots of minority communities um, talking about mental health for a variety of reasons. There is nothing from keeping you from talking about mental health, right? Not at all. Um, tell me, uh, you you had two suicide attempts, correct? Um, was it more? It was way more. Way yeah. more. Yes. Where, where did let's go back? Where did these dark thoughts start? Um, I had to be in junior high, um, seventh and eighth grade. So I think like twelve, thirteen. Um, I would get bullied a lot. It was a very, very dark moment. Um, I would get teased about my teeth or my height or uh, my complexion, or I'll be extremely dark or <laughs> however they say it. Um. And it just got to a point, I remember, I thought, I was like, okay, if I take a whole bottle of Tylenol pills, then, you know, I won't wake up tomorrow. And I did that, and I woke up, but I woke up with a stomach ache. Mm-hmm. I was just sick as ever. But granted, I could not let my parents know, because sure. then we... Uh, I'm like, okay, that, that's not going to end good. When you were that age, did you understand the the consequences that like you you wanted to die? You were not going to wake up or anything. Yes, I, I already knew. Um, and it was it got to the point. Um, I believe I have had over about it's be about twelve. It's been twelve attempts. It all started in junior high, um, and then that was my first attempt. And I think I, I, no, I know I did try it a couple more times, like as the day per, as the days progressed, nothing just ever happened. How how come um you, was it stigma from, you seeking help? Um. So at the time, my dad would have me. I wasn't in therapy. Therapy. Mm-hmm. It was a different type of therapy that he had put me in. Um. That the firefighters' family would get at the time. Sure. Um. And it wasn't until eighth grade where he received a letter and said. We're no longer accepting Tia in this program. She needs to see a psych doctor. Okay. Um, so something was clearly more serious than they could handle. Yes. Okay. So um, then I got to high school. And in my mind, I was watching Degrassi and um, iCarly. So I, in my head, I'm like, okay, high school will be like this. Yeah. High school was not like that. Yeah. Um, it was a, a bit more rough um i would never forget that at one point um somebody that i considered a friend um took my ipad not my ipad my ipod it was a little small shuffle square ones that's yeah and when i asked for it back it was a well i gave it to so-and-so or i gave it to so-and-so and And then i went to the dean because i'm like that's the right thing to do was to go to the dean's office before i know it i was getting choked up in the hallway and it was just like everybody was staring. I'm just like, holy moly! Um, and I'd never been through anything like that. Um, let me so, go, let me go back if I could. Uh-huh. When I think I remember your talk, you you got sick from the pills. Your dad your dad found you. Okay, so um, that it wasn't until I'm trying to think. Um, I was um, it was probably I'm trying to think. Matter of fact, it was high school year. The the time that my dad caught me was when I cut my arm. Okay. It by this time it was it was ter- it was really bad. So they didn't know before no, this mm-mm. that you were making suicide yeah, yeah, attempts. Yeah, yeah. No, hi, no. Tori. Say hi. 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 All right. She, she's <laughs> the reason. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about Tori at the end here. Yes. 
So your parents had no idea that you were making these attempts. They probably had some idea that there were some dark thoughts, but they yeah. never would grasp suicide. No, not at all. They Not at all. And so um, it got to the point, um, I remember it was a Friday. It was a Friday night. And um, I found one of my mom's razor blades. And this is high school. Yes, and my dad had a minivan at the time, and his seats would like lay back in the back, and then like he'd have the, like the front seats. And I remember just telling him I just wanted to lay down. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were headed to Inky's Pizza. Great place. Yes, and I just I was just going to town. I and you know he never, neither my mom nor dad saw anything. Um, it wasn't until. Ooh, bless, bless you. Bless you. You okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ooh, got it. Don't do that. Yucky. Tia, Tori, and Boogers now on the show. Yes. Darn it. So, it was, had, had you. Were you going. When was that razor blade attempt? Was that in the car or you had yes. already made. In the car with him there? Yeah, yep. He was driving. My mom was in a passenger seat and my sister was in, uh, in a back seat, but her seat was like up. Because I think at the time, I think Myra had to be like, maybe like 10 or 11 at this time. Well, she had to be, because we were in like high, yeah, because I was in high school. And so. When you were considering this, after Papa. many times before, likely by yourself, was this a, was this some kind of like um, veiled plea for help that they would stop you? No. I was like, I was, I'm like, as dark, how bad I felt. I was like, I, I was like, I can't imagine being continuing feeling this way. Yeah, it it hurt it. It hurt it so bad. Um, and I'm like, I, I just can't keep feeling like this. Um, it got to the point, um, like this this, uh, this razor incident. It wasn't until the following day. Um, uh, my mom was staying back. My dad had a bowling tournament. Of course he did. Yes, and so we um, it was my dad, my grandparents. We're going. My little sister and my mom stayed home. Matter of fact, we were headed to Columbus. Um, so that so um, also my older brother, well, my second older brother, he stays in Columbus. So, I mean, we dad just says, okay, while I'm bowling, you can hang out with your brother, um, and then you know we'll all go to dinner right after. So, um, it, we were in the car. Me and dad was at McDonald's, and he hit my arm. Mm-hmm. And I jumped, and he looked at me, and he said, "You okay?" I said, "Mm-hmm." And then he asked me to hand him something. Mm-hmm. I couldn't hand it to him. It was the razor blade, huh? It was the razor blade. I, it was my, it was my arm. I had, I had swore I messed my whole entire arm up. At at that point, he probably recognized the gravity of it, and um, there were some serious steps taken. What were they? Um, he first he had at the time he wasn't sure what to do. Mm-hmm. Um. So, um, we went and we cleaned my arm and, um, he talked at the time, he said, who are you comfortable talking to? And I said, I'll talk to Kyle, who's my older brother. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. And he said, you know, let's just try to have a good time. If you feel any type of way, you know, you're more than welcome. He said, just open up to daddy. Um, so we got to Columbus, um, I think it's remind you it's April. So I should have on a short sleeve shirt, but I have on a hoodie. Um, and so I, I remember me and my brother, we were at Barnes and Nobles and I was like, Hey, I do got to tell you something. And I explained to him my thoughts. Um, 
my bless you um my brother what did he do? he started punching the ceiling and screaming out of anger yes. that he couldn't help you sooner or didn't yes, know yeah. that he didn't know um and then he said how can i help you i said i don't know because i don't even know how to help myself um then um fast forward to um sunday this so this is saturday so sunday um uh oh bless you you need tissue Okay. It got to a point where Sunday um, went home and mom and dad both, dad pulled mom to the bedroom to talk with mom um, and they both pulled up my arm and that's when dad said we got to figure out how to get her help. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, my mom was ba- my mom was battling with um, mental illness as well. But again, we did not know this. Sure. Um, also, my mom's favorite brother had just recently, that summer, had committed um, murder-suicide. Okay. So it was still fresh to her because that's the, her and her brother was very, 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 very close. Um, so now my dad has me and my mom battling yeah. Whatever this is that he's not even sure how to help. Um, I remember so he I ended up did getting in with a psych doctor and I looked at him. I said, This ain't gonna work. Yeah. What what about it didn't work for you? I I did not feel a connection. Sure, I get it. And then, you know, and then their way was to suck it up. Yeah. And I'm just like, Yeah, no. And then I was like, well, you know, you're a teenager. This is puberty. You, these emotions are... And I'm like, yeah, no. I'm like, I've been having these feelings since, like, junior high. And there's there's depression, sadness, typical thoughts. Anybody that gets bullied is not going to feel great. Yeah. But when it takes you to these measures... Yeah. Did, did, so how long did that turn you off from psychiatry? Uh, for a while. Because we, we were going back and forth... I, and like it got to the point, I was tr- I tried my hardest, and then hold on tour. Um, I tried my hardest, I really did, and it got to a point. I think I was like seventeen. I looked at my dad because um I had to be a, no, was I seventeen or eighteen? I had to be eighteen. I was just about to graduate high school. Or did I just graduate? I don't remember. So at this it, point, yeah, it was around this time, okay. and I it got. I looked at my dad. So I, I, I'm not going back. We're not working. And matter of fact, I can tell you exactly what happened. The medicine that the doctor put me on. What was it? Do you remember? Respidol. Res, okay. res, oh, respidol. And I had the most outer body experience mm-hmm. where I was seeing things and hearing things that was not happening. It almost amplified the mental health issues. Yes. Did it do? Did it give you any solace, any help, relief? No, it it made everything worse. It got right. to a point I was seeing people that weren't there, and I went and I told the psychiatrist about it, and I will never forget. She looked at me and she said, "You're lying." I said, "Excuse me." So then they sent me to the, the therapist, and it was a that didn't happen. The talk therapy. Yes. And they sent me. They sent me to the, uh, a therapist in the office, and she told me that it it didn't happen. And I said, "Okay, I won't be back." 
Yeah. Did you did you decide to keep chasing after it with other clinicians and mental health professionals, or did you just want to try to manage it on your own at that point? At that time, I tried to manage it on my own, and then it only lasted about a good two months. How come? Did it? It got worse, didn't it? It got ten times worse. Yeah. Um. By now, I am out of high school. I'm a full adult, and the way that I pictured life to be. It was not happening that way. Yeah. And at the time, I was only making $8. I'm like, how can I make more? I'm like, I'm not doing anything. And then I got the real dose of reality about bills. Well, a phone bill at the time. And and then, again, my anxiety started, you know, happening. And then depression started. It got to the point, um, it was January 28th. I woke up that morning. I went to church. Matter of fact, it was uh, my fiance at the time. Me and him, we we went to church together because the night before, my dad, my mom, and I, we all got into an argument. Um, because dad was like, "Oh, your attitude is just so nasty," and so you know, it was it was very it, non. Now it it was very petty. Looking back at it now. Um, but January 28th, went to church, and I prayed that whatever I was feeling to please take it away. I was like, I don't want to feel this way. Um, as the day got on, I just, as the day went on, I remember going, hold on, sir. I remember going back to bed, no, going back home, and I just laid in the bed. And I was like, whatever, I'm, whatever I'm supposed to do, just Whatever's supposed to happen, just help me. Like I just want this to go away. Nothing. It, it, how I felt did not go away. Yeah. So then, um, it got to the point. I walked to the dollar store, Mama? and I bought four packs of medicine, sleeping For medicine. Another attempt. Yep. And this attempt, I took two packs as I walked home, and I took the rest when I got home. Um, the last thing I remember, I wrote my mom, dad, and my little sister a letter. And I laid on the floor. I do remember my mom trying to talk to me, but I'm, I'm not recognizing what she's saying. Next day I know I wake up in an ambulance, and I wake up again to everybody surrounding me, to them trying to pump my stomach. Next day I know I'm headed to the psych ward. Was that the, the closest you had been to death? Yes. During any of your attempts? Yes. Um, so let's fast forward uh, a little bit. You're in a much better place now. Yes. How did you How did you get there? What What were some of the the victories and some of the things that worked for you at long last? Um, it finally got to a point where I ended up finding a psych doctor that listened, and we did different regimens, um, and then he found a better therapist for me. Um, and I have been with them since 19, 20 years old, and I'm still with them today. Let, uh, one thing that I, I learned through the same way that you did, um, and I'll say it in my words, and then you give me your words of it. I always encourage people when you go to look for a therapist or a psychologist, it's kind of like dating. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have to hop around to a couple people. Don't get discouraged like many people do. It is like dating where, or and then you turn into a marriage where that person can finish your thoughts yes. and you can have those conversations. What was it like for you? Um, oh, I dated around for therapists. <laughs> I definitely did. And would you? How would you put it in your words to say, "Don't give up, keep looking"? Um, 
whatever 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 dark place matter of fact i just said it on facebook last night whatever you're facing right now it's going to be okay at the end of the day it's going to be bless okay you. bless you allergy season it's going to be okay um especially when it came down to it came down to therapy uh, um me and me and my therapist um we have a very close bonded relationship and you know she's been with me since i got out the hospital um from my january 28th attempt um both my pregnancies she has helped me um and then just with life so now when a reoccurring event happens that triggers me and I contact her. She knows really off... Like, we literally talk to each other like best friends. Yeah. And that's just... When you have that type of therapist, you I would never let her go. Yeah. Like, I, I have a person... I was fortunate enough to find that person here. In fact... Uh, when I was considering leaving here for another job, one of the things that went through my head was I might never find a, a therapist like this ever again. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I medications? Like what was the medication journey for you like? Oh, <laughs> that, that was a lot. I remember yeah. at one point he took me completely off work. I was com- I was off work for about a month just so we could find different regimens. Yeah, like a, like a mad scientist. Yes, and I would literally probably once or twice a week I would go in and... Um, we'll try different things. So finally we found the right combination. Um, what, what, what is it? Are you still on that now? Yes. What is it? Um, okay. Buspirone. Okay. That's, uh, well, Butrin. Yes. Um, and then, um, Xanax when needed. Sure. Yep. Um, Prozac. Okay. And Latuda. Okay. And so that's, but then, you know, again, that's just for like right now. And like in, um. And then, of course, they was like, if something ever comes about, um, I will. We will always find a different regimen. Your body, your body, and your brain change. Yes. The medication might need to be changed. Mm-hmm. Your environment changes. Yes. Medications will get better. Yes. So I've I've changed. Um, I was on Cymbalta for a long, long time. It, it was causing me a really bad side effect. I didn't even think about. Uh-huh. Um, but I added Wellbutrin. I came off the Cymbalta to try something else because, again, in the Mama. same way, physically we can't do things. Uh-huh. Uh, when we were younger, the brain works the same way. I'm glad you found the. I call them the right concoction. Yes, and also, um, it was at the time. TM, it's called TMS uh, training, where I would go into the office every day for 12 weeks, eight to 12 weeks. And I would go in every day at a certain time, and they would literally, it was something they would do where I'll be, my brain will be hooked up to this machine. Do you mean EMDR? Yes, that's what I, they call it now. Yes. And I did that. Uh, my, I, like eye movement therapy. Yes. Um, and, um, I, you know, and it, and I did that uh, with my, my last, my very, the most severe attempt, which was in 2019. Um, when I got out the hospital and was back to trying to figure out life, that was one of the things that my psych doctor was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Let's do this now. This is going to help. And it's, it's still to this day, it helps me. It ha- It's amazing. I, I tried it because I wanted to do dialectical behavioral therapy, more mm-hmm. like mindfulness with cognitive therapy. But my therapist bumped me over. She's like, try EMDR. Mm-hmm. The woman who was working with me, she's like, look, I'm still kind of a rookie at this, so if it doesn't work, let's just split up. 
it, it didn't give me what I wanted, but I know a lot of people who have had uh, serious trauma and PTSD, it, it works for them. And if it works, it works. I know it's still very early on in the EMDR, yes. but if it works, it works. Um, as we wrap up the, the community uh, contact segment of, of things, let me ask you this. Um, when you talk to other black folks about this, as candidly as, candidly as you're talking now, some probably dismiss you and do all the names like, oh, it's all in your head, the, the usual oh, yeah. stuff. But then you probably bring some people out of out of the woods and offer them maybe like hope and life. What's What are the conversations with people who look like you? Um, I, Like you said, some some people would be like, okay, you got to pray about it. That That's not it. <laughs> Did you tell them you tried to pray it away it didn't work? I, I was like, yeah, that, that was like, no, you need to get much deeper. And I was like, mm, okay, th- that's what works for you. But that right. didn't work for me because obviously Nobody there, there's something. For me. <laughs> it didn't okay. work for Tori either. It didn't work for Tori either. But then I have, hold on, give me a second, Tori. And then I will have some ladies that be like, you are so, you're not ashamed. I said, oh, no, I used to be. But now who I was back then and who I am now, you can't shame me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I And I was like, everybody has a story. Everybody has a past. You can't be ashamed of it. And I'm like, if I can help the next person, I will. And I don't have no problem helping the next person. Because, you know, I have, I have stories for days. And but it's okay. It's human. And who and who wants to feel lousy? Yeah. Like, you want to feel better, do almost whatever it takes. Yes. Um, last thing here on, on contact. Uh, tell me tell me your uh, encounters, your your positives with NAMI. Oh, um, okay. So I was doing the, um, I would go to group therapy on Mondays when, it, when they had it. And I met some of the most amazing people. Some people I'm still close to to this day. And we still check in on each other. Um, I just recently, over the summer, I did a segment with Miss Sonia. And just hearing other people's stories, having them listen to mine. I loved everything about it. Um, And I I just can't wait to do do something again. Yeah, Sonia's great at NAMI. Yes, she's amazing. And their groups, um, I think maybe the best way they help people is you can look to your left and right and go, you're just like me. And yes. it doesn't make you feel alone. At all. Last question um, here. Um, we keep coming back to race with this. Because yeah. again, I just know it is a big deal oh, with, yeah. with um, minority community. I mean, we took it, took it took COVID for people to go, yeah, I need to see a therapist. Yes. Do you think we're making, we're gaining ground and positive gains in black and other minority communities with mental health aid? Um, sometimes. But a lot of times... We, I still, it's still a lot of people that's ashamed about it. Um, it's still a lot of people that still commit suicide because they're yeah. scared to ask for help, and that is so scary. It, it it really is, and you know, it's a lot of families. You know, either you know, being on Facebook, it's a lot of people right now. You know, that's losing their loved ones to suicide yeah. because they were ashamed or they don't feel loved, and it's never the case. Um, I just want to be able to keep saying you're not alone you are loved even when you don't feel like you're oh you're definitely loved yep and dark times don't last forever yep you know today is what wednesday yep 26th you see i have had the most roughest week ever and it's only it's only wednesday right but the thing is i'm like you know let me readjust refocus you know re-get myself together tomorrow you know today today can be a bad day but tomorrow's going to be a better day. And that's just how I have to continue looking at it. Well, keep keep talking about this stuff because yeah. the more we talk about it, the louder we get, regardless of who or what you are, it makes it easier for others. Mm-hmm. And it's literally life-saving stuff. Yes. 
Um, thank you so much for visiting. No problem. So he say thank you. Say thank you for having me. Thank you for having me.